Hey Finn, how you going? Oh, you know, not 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 amazing. Okay, so uh, uh, we we're in lockdown. That's why we may sound a little different. Yeah. Um, j- just so you know, we won't, for instance, go on f- go on about it for about twenty minutes in an intro. We've discarded. Uh, that's right. You're listening to Shite and Sound. My name is Yutha Shite, and I am Finn Sound Nicholas. And this is Shite and Sound, an insurgency podcast. That's right. We are here supporting all the great forces across the world, uh, sitting inside countries, building up weapons to uh, storm the headquarters of their governments, because those governments, God, they're trying to give us vaccines so that we don't <laughs> die. Hmm? Do you know, yeah, I, I, a I, lot thought, of them. I have thought a lot about why I don't agree with the death penalty, uh, and, and I don't. And, and I, I, I read quite a bit about it recently, and people going like, well, the thing about the death penalty is everyone agrees with the death penalty. It just is how bad the crime is. Do you know what I mean? And like using examples of people who are, who are like incredible pacifists, uh, but then when they find out about like people who've committed horrific crimes towards babies, etc., yeah. they're like, oh, we should kill them. And my response to that, sincerely, this is not within the bit of our intro, is like, no, that is what prison is for. I, yeah. I think if someone is that vile and that, that disturbed, the best justice we can get is making them feel bad about it for as long as possible. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think... In our intro that we discarded, we talked a lot about Werner Herzog. I saw a clip recently from, uh, from, from one of his documentaries. It was from Into the Abyss or On Death Row, where he's talking to a prosecutor, someone who like specializes in giving people the death penalty. And she says to him, you know, I, I, think, I think you're sort of like going out of, your, out of your way to humanize him about an inmate. And, and Werner Herzog says, no, okay, we're just going to stop here for a second. Uh, it's, it's not my intention to, uh, to, to try and humanize him. Uh, he's, he's, just, he's just human. And then, uh, and he, and he holds on her face for a, for a very long time, and yeah. uh, she doesn't say anything. Once again, to restate one of the, I believe there are there are there are five common theses to this podcast, to this the film podcast within which we are doing a bit introduction. <laughs> we're just we're we're in parentheses right now. Um, uh, uh, one is that Tenor is good. One is that Suspiria twenty eighteen is the better Suspiria. One is. Is Linda Cardellini in it? <laughs> uh, one is that no film is worth someone getting hurt. And then, like, the last one is is that, like, Werner Herzog is great at a meme, but, yeah. but actually the key thing is that he gets it. Like, yeah. he, he, he's, he's, like, secretly the most empathetic filmmaker currently working. <laughs> oh, yeah, and he is, like, he is genuinely, of all the people in the world who are like, I'm just a disappointed optimist, I genuinely believe, like, Herzog is the one person that might actually be true of, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, it, yeah, we have talked in the past about that interview with the skateboarding magazine, but, like, <laughs> no, he is... I can't think of an issue that I've encountered a Herzog view on that I think is wrong. And, like, yeah. there are even ones I disagree with, but there are ones where I'm, like, I'm... I, I disagree, but I'm, I know I'm wrong. Like, <laughs> vegetarianism. Like, I know I should be a vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, that's my relationship. But anyway, <clears throat> Finn. Yes. So, 
my whole point with the death penalty thing is, as I have said, the only gift we have to ourselves is to choose when we die. And by governments trying to vaccinate us, they are robbing us of that gift. Like that great patriot hero, that guy who even recorded vlogs from inside a COVID ward as he died gasping for air, claiming that COVID is a hoax, because let's remember, it is. Mm -hmm. It's 2021, guys. Why is it still called COVID-19? Exactly. let's think about the other thing there's 19 of. Uh, Oh, monkeys plus the seven deadly sins. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, I I was also going to say monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what else is there, you know? There were our comrades in America who on on January 6th uh, just did an absolutely great job uh, of making themselves look brave and smart uh, um, in reclaiming America from its uh, 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 fascist rule, which at that point was still uh, rough. So, schmoo, 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 they did a great job. They looked great. I especially Mm -hmm. loved that guy who was cosplaying as, like, I don't know, Bear Grylls having a midlife crisis. Yeah, as, as, like, someone you kill on the road in Skyrim. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what, but, you know, we don't want to be NPCs except for the cool ones, you know? Yeah. Um, and we, we've been assessing different ways that we can do our own insurrection. <laughs> our <laughs> own insurrection here in uh, New Zealand. Obviously, we're in lockdown, and you know how we had that, that we organised that, that COVID-19 pr- protest. And only, yeah, but then like, neither of us could go to it. <laughs> yeah, because we were too, I was too busy. Uh, Crying. Just, oh yeah, I mean, I normally, I've trained, like, this lockdown, I've, like, the key thing is that a lot of my crying is now I do it while doing other things, you know? Right, like while folding looking, laundry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that, that, <laughs> like, uh, not, that, That's your, that, like, one yeah. moment of respite? I don't really, no, I do, I fold laundry and watch Doctor Who. Rewatch The Ark in Space. Oh, oh, check it out, Robert Holmes, if you're listening, love it. Uh, you're dead, though. Is there a Doctor Who story where, where, uh, where, where, where the seventh Doctor's companion uh, gets electrocuted called the Spark and Ace? No, <laughs> but there's almost certainly a short story named that, you know? <laughs> and, like... Okay, obviously, maybe you're thinking of the beginning of Time Worm Genesis, the first of the Virgin New Adventures novel series. Where, yeah, that's exactly um, what I was thinking of. Where she gets a psychic attack, so she loses her memory, so that um, the Doctor can re-explain the premise of the series uh, uh, that, that they are in. Because right. they were like, oh yeah, uh, this TV show has just been cancelled, we're going to start a spin-off book series. We better make that welcoming to newcomers. Uh, that's also the book that has the scene uh, where it, Gilgamesh is hitting on a nude twelve-year-old woman, and Ace is like, "That's gross," <laughs> and the Doctor is like, "No, this is the past. We can't judge them." <laughs> yeah, it's it is it's Ugh. it's it's vile. Good <laughs> it times. Is. 
it is that series of books is maybe my second favorite era of doctor who it does not start strong <laughs> but paul cornell shows up in three books time and it ooh, ooh, poorly paul cornell anyway so as we are working on our own insurrection we've been doing uh, uh what uh, i know what my preparation has been um you know buying torches uh, just really thinking angry thoughts about tax and uh, yeah. Um, what have you been up to, Finn? What, what's your well, preparation? Uh, I, I, I am, of course. Uh, I, I am, of course, in, ensconced inside my my bedroom. It's painted like a castle. Uh, it, just for the listeners at home, it's half a castle and half a circus. Yeah, I've got uh, uh, got a wasabi knife here. Um, <laughs> Did you have that within reach? It's it's on my desk, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right, all right. Do you always have a knife on you? Uh, not anymore, no. Right, okay, what? Okay. When I was, like, 16, 17, I was definitely a, I was definitely a knife guy. I had, like, one of those, like, credit card knives that I would, like, have in my pocket. Uh, Did you ever have to use it? No. My dad uh, was a knife guy and used them to eat apples a lot. Which oh, is an I, I, insane I, attempt at cool for a ginger bald Cornish man. Oh yeah, I, I, I still like like eating apple off a knife sometimes. It's fun. I mean, it's it's good. I've been yeah. eating a lot of grapefruit. The last grapefruit falling from mm. our grapefruit tree, and I do that with a machete. Yeah, but um, uh, which, so I, 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 I used to own like like a, like a fair number of knives. Like not not like a. Well, like like four, like four or five, yeah, maybe of bit, different bit, bit, scales. Or yeah, yeah, bit, bit. like I just was something I feels like a hunting knife that my mum's boyfriend got had got for me. It was a knife I found just like on my grandmother's <laughs> farm one time, which I was like, yeah, this is mine now. Like I I, I had a few <laughs> knives, and then um, at the beginning of two thousand and sixteen, <laughs> I went to Australia with some of my friends, and we were there for a couple of weeks. And uh, while while we were away, uh, my my uh, sister Sophie uh, uh, had a big party at our house because because uh, uh, our dad was also away. She had a big party, invited a bunch of people over, and a kid who we were friends with in primary school invited a bunch of his new friends over, and they, they like like they like uh, smoked cigarettes inside and burned holes in the couch cushions, and then uh, stole my dad's iPad and all of my knives. And uh, we, we, we eventually got the iPad back, uh, but uh, we never got my knives back. So I, I now have a new Swazami knife and uh, no other knives, which is like, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not a knife guy anymore, because uh, it, it, like, after a certain point it gets uh, real weird. But, but also, I'm annoyed that they stole my fucking knives. I like those knives a lot. I, yeah, I am, I seem to be saying this a lot. But yeah, no, like, Finn... Uh, I love you with all my heart. You're a very dear friend to me. Thank but you. But I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very glad that I will note for the audience that is not him saying that he feels the same way. It's fine. I'm used to it. <laughs> uh, in all of my life, it's not me and Finn's relationship. Isn't me like desperately chasing him, <laughs> yelling? I have so much platonic love for you. Which brings me to the second best line in Magnolia. Oh no. This is no, out of order. That's, that's, that's later. later. Oh, when the second best line of the first, the best line in Magnolia, you'll hear me tell you that the, the second best later is um, 
when uh, William H. Macy, famous school ethics fan, says, um, my name is Quiz Kid Donnie Smith, and I have so much love to give. But anyway, <laughs> that's what I'm like. Um, I, but I, I am so glad you don't have knives. Because like we all, like I see, my, I see within myself, there are many points where I could, I could so easily be the enemy. I could see, like, I've seen points where I've held the same resentments that turn people into incels yeah. or uh, racists or, uh, you know, people who just will just sing musical theatre songs in, in public. And you're like, yeah. there, are, there are other <laughs> people. People who go on the X Factor. Yeah. Um, people who go on Eggs Factor, which is uh, what I call my fan edit of MasterChef, but it's just eggs. Just egg content. Yeah, it's just all, 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 all the egg episodes. Yeah. Just, n- no. just n- nothing but omelets and souffles. No, I've, I've, I've trained an AI to watch <laughs> all cooking television and only include yolk, uh, uh, yolk baked content. Which is fine, but like, turns out there are quite a lot of syrup mm. that look a bit like the inside of eggs. Um, I had to work very hard to to train it off cream eggs, and with that, I just used um, the inbuilt racism that seems to be trained into most AIs these <laughs> days. Anyway, so for this week's step of preparation, Finn, I thought we should look at other examples uh, of insurrection mm. in film form, uh, and then maybe talk about it. It sounds like a good idea. Can you think of uh, some films we could do? Uh, yeah, how about uh, Gila Pondacorvo's The Battle of Algiers and whoever's uh, Red Dawn 2012? Well, Dan Bradley, the guy who defined uh, uh, the action aesthetic of the ort with his work on the Bourne films and then the, the thingy of what's it, the Suntum of Boris, that's right, the, the Quantum of Sala. Right. Yeah, no, let's do that, and let's see what we can learn from those films in our very sincere fit. <laughs> I, I, we took a break in recording, Yeah, I, and I, I went to the bathroom, then I went through and I asked Briar, is it too soon to joke about the January 6th attack? And she said yes, and, and, and uh, one of our flatmates who was also in the room looked like, did like a like horrified a little disgusted look (laughs) and i was like the public is wrong i want to know now now that we are like 15 minutes deep into this have i made a terrible (laughs) mistake Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode we watched number 49 on the Sight and Sound list, The Battle of Algiers. Gilo Pontecorvo's revolutionary, both in form and content, docufiction exploration of the Algerian War. Our second film this week is the 2012 remake of Red Dawn, the sort of propaganda that an immensely powerful country creates when it wants you to feel bad for it.
Battle of Algiers. Um, this was my first time. Was it uh, yours? Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, it was. And I've I've not seen any other Pontecorvo. No, um, I, I I downloaded a, a couple of his other films, and I meant to watch them over the last weekend, just never got around to it because uh, being in lockdown uh, makes me not want to do things. Yeah, what is it? And, and I have seen other film shits like us comment on this, but like lockdown should be film dream time, just chucking yes, them into your be. eyes, um, just biffing them down. But I, yeah, no, I, I, I also, I, I have, I've load to a crawl i i was gonna watch the original red dawn i was also gonna do that uh i watched like the first 10 minutes and it's exactly what you think it is which is slightly better but still not good than the remake yeah. i guess but like it's got a bunch of better actors like it's got it's got it's got swayze in the lead it's it's got harry dean yeah. stanton as video oh i mean chris cooper and harry dean stanton are sort of like, fairly comparable, I guess, but I'm, I'm sure Stanton's better yeah. in, in, in his role. And it's written and directed by John Milius, who's, like, an actual, like, crazy right-wing person. He has the, like, conviction of his beliefs that this film does not have. Like, th- th- this is... Uh, oh, I just, like, my thing against Red, Red Dawn 2012 is, yeah, the film doesn't have, doesn't back itself, but that's because it assumes the audience it's playing to does. Like, yeah. so much of the oora you are the future stuff. They don't need to care because they know that, you know, they're, there's, they're a, in middle America, they're, they're a people with red faces being like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the other two Pontecorvo films that I was going to uh, try and watch were a 1960 film called Capo, which is, uh, which is a Holocaust film that, 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 that he directed. Uh, which is uh, supposed to be very good. It was it was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, uh, and I was also going to watch uh, Burn, which is from 1969, which stars Marlon Brando as uh, uh, as as William Walker, who is a, a late 19th, early 20th century American uh, mercenary who would uh, basically go to countries in Central and South America and try and overthrow their uh, uh, their governments uh, in, in the in the name of like American imperialism. I was especially interested in that one because I I'd, I'd seen another movie about William Walker uh, which is called Walker made by Alice Cox earlier this year which starred uh, which which starred Ed Harris as William Walker and that film is fantastic and I I'd, I'd love to see what Pontecorvo did with that character and his life story because he's a fascinating maniac. I mean, yeah, he is a maniac is the thing I'm agreeing with. Mm. Like, there's this real sense of, like, insanity throughout this whole film. Yeah. In that, even while watching it, I became very aware of how hard doing a plot summary of it will be. Because it is basically, like, uh, the the ALF... Is it the ALF? NLF? It's, 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 the, it's, it's the FNL, I think. FNL. Sorry. Yeah. Front National Deliberation or something. That's right. Yeah. Uh, or want the French out of Algeria and out of Algiers particularly. The French had essentially uh, been the, the like colonial masters of Algeria for well over 100 years uh, by, 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 the, mm. by the 1950s. And at least as far as the French were concerned, it had been going pretty well. 
There was not a, there was not a whole lot of conflict. They were pretty good at keeping any sort of like any sort of Algerian nationalism well suppressed. But in the late fifties, there was a group called the FLN, the National Liberation Front, and they uh, essentially waged a guerrilla war in the streets of Algiers against the French occupying powers. And after like seven or so years of of continued struggle and building support both at home and abroad, uh, that they they finally uh, kicked the fucking French out of there and were able to establish their own country. And the film follows, yeah, they're like, they're like seven years of struggle. Focusing very specifically, like the bulk of the action is is 54 to 57. Yeah, um, and then there's a couple oh, time the, dashes. The, the, yeah. And it pointedly, the... the the liberation forces win is an epilogue as opposed to the end of the story. Mm. The, the, the story the film tells is of the Battle of Algiers, which was essentially a bunch of guerrilla uh, terror attacks yeah. from both sides, um, uh, which ended with uh, uh, the, the liberation forces being defeated in yeah. Algeria. Um, and and so it is, it's this very interesting film, and so much of the film is made up of, you'll have a couple of brief moments, and then almost like a video game level of, of an attack in some way, or uh, from either side, yeah. um, or, or organizing it in a way that is actually, like structurally, the same exactly as Red Dawn. So, sort um, of, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I am not... <laughs> yeah, like, no, no, the... I, I, I know what you mean. So it, it does something quite interesting, which is it, something that I think wasn't really done that much at, at this time in films, which is it starts at kind of the end of a story. It starts with all the other leaders of the FLN dead and uh, and, and the French paratroopers coming to capture uh, uh, the, the, the like final leader remaining... Who was a man called Ali Laplante, uh, played by an Algerian actor called Brahim Akiag. Not- and he's like the mm. closest the li- the film has to a lead. Um, yeah. It's very an ensemble film, but there's always someone kind of in charge on either side yeah. of the um, on either side of the conflict. And it is that, uh, and and with the French side, that changes a couple of times because. We spend about roughly the first half with like the the governor or the local embassy or whatever, mm. and then they just call in this absolute John Claude Van Damme lookalike maniac. Or Colonel Matthew, played by an actor called Jean Martin. And like, yeah, this film was banned in France. Was I don't even know if it was formally banned. It was not shown in France for nearly a decade. When it was eventually released in France, they did a whole issue of Cahiers du Cinema denouncing it, saying things like, it is, uh, what is it, this film is so bad and so wrong that if someone likes it, you cannot trust their opinions on anything. Yeah. And, like, and yet, like, I think this film is excessively fair-minded. It really stresses that both sides were committing heinous and unforgivable acts. Both sides were killing civilians. Yeah. Um. It it, it was it was a terror war in a city. Um. But like the key thing for me is I just don't know how the French could not like this film when their major representative in it, who is 
I, you just said his name and I've forgotten it. Uh, his, um, his, his, his name is Colonel Matthew, played by Jean Martin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where he is clearly the kind of, in a cinematic sense, which is, to be flippant, the only way French people care about films. <laughs> like, the coolest person in the film. Yeah, like, he's, he's, got, he's got sunglasses on all the time. <laughs> he looks great. He rocks a beret. Yeah, and they obs- they give him like kind of almost like Tom Cruise rewriting the Mummy level pandering <laughs> dialogue, in that like many times he's like, I I agree with your I I uh, I, I support your moral standing. I just disagree with you. Yeah, and we or, will or, fight to the death. Yeah, or or, or or when he's like trying to capture one of the leaders, like he he he'll, he'll take like. He'll take like every avenue possible, other than killing them. He'll he'll talk to them forever to try and get them to come out, and say like, yeah, and and say like, look, we 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 don't want to have to blow up your entire street, but if you don't come out, we we'll, we'll just have to do it. Yeah, and he's kind of like the closest equivalent is like, should we tell Ijo for in serenity as the <laughs> operative, like the man who apologizes and comforts people as he kills them. Yeah, like there's the bit. Where he's trying to negotiate a surrender, uh, uh, like, through a wall or whatever. Mm. And they're like, you promise us a trial and no violence? And he goes, yes, of course, we're, we're French. And they're like, we want that in writing. And his response is like, oh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, he pulls out a pad and starts writing it down. <laughs> oh, I really like this film. I really, mm. I, it, it's not a film you enjoy, but I also kind of did not enjoy it like yeah there's some mean action and i uh, just even feels bad to say it but like the the bit on the step uh uh there, there's a cop walking right, down some yeah. steps and there's uh like a teenager behind him and the cop keeps stopping and being like what are you doing and like profiling this guy um and he's like look i'm just going swimming and he's got <laughs> trunks in his pocket and then the the kid you know he stops him two or three times he searches him twice um and then the kid just walks up to some bins gets his <laughs> gun out and shoots him and it is a bit it's like it, as much and i'm sure this will be the bulk of what we discuss this is an incredible work of like documentary drama mm. there is also like there are endorphin thrills in this film yeah. in a way and because as you said it introduces you in 1957 um the uh uh Ali is tra- Ali Lapointe is is trapped they're hiding in a wall mm. uh and it is you start their search and they find him you cut to these really tense shots uh uh and, and you get the sense of of the French as this overwhelmingly negative force I from that was I knew two things it was like one is like is this the best looking film ever made <laughs> It's in this incredible high contrast black and white. It, look, oh, it looks so good. Mm. Oh. Um, and also, I was like, I do not expect to enjoy this film. This is a, a film that already starts you at a point of just horrific tension. Yeah. So um, we'll talk a little bit about where Pontecorvo was coming from. Pontecorvo came from a like famous family of Jewish Italians. His dad was an, was like a nuclear physicist. Lots of like big scientists and stuff in, in, in his family. In, in the like late 30s, 
uh, when, when when like fascists are coming to power in in Central Europe, he starts getting like he starts getting like bombarded with with anti-Semitism, and so he 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 finally leaves Italy and he, and, he, and he moves to France, where he gets involved with with filmmakers and communists. When World War Two uh, starts, he goes back to Italy. He joins the Italian communists, and he and he goes back to Italy to help organize uh, uh, like anti-fascist partisan fighters. And and that 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 is you know a big influence on like obviously this film working with guerrilla warfare against like massive oppressive armies and like government systems and, and then after the war uh, he goes full force into into filmmaking he sees some like early Roberto Rossellini films and and that like flips the switch in his brain and and he 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 starts making these like very political films he he made. Film, uh, he made his film Capo about uh, uh, which is which is set in a, in a Nazi death camp, and then he, yeah, and, and then a few a few years later he goes to Algeria for a while and and films the Battle of Algiers like on the streets of Algiers with with with, with the like support of of the local people and like you, you, using them as extras and using people who had lived through these events as his main actors. Yeah, the Jean Martin as 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 Colonel Matthew was the only professional actor in the film, at least as what I've read. Um, mm. One would hope that some of these guys would go on to further careers. Cause... Mm. The thing about Jean Martin, though, like even though he was a professional actor, he was also a member of, of the French Resistance in World War Two, and then later yeah. in like late forties and, and early fifties, he. He was a paratrooper in in Vietnam, and so he had sort of experienced already kind of both sides of of like what is being shown in this film. He 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 had been a resistance fighter, and he had been a member of an imperialist force. And he also Pontecorvo said at one point, like uh, uh, he was a professional actor, but he was a stage actor. Yeah. So he wasn't he wasn't a known film actor. Mm. He, he was uh, like famous for being was... in Samuel Beckett plays. Oh, I mean, what a juxtaposition, which is like a good juxtaposition. So, uh, he apparently originated the roles of Lucky in Waiting for Godot and Clove in Endgame. I had no... Wow. Yeah. That is... That guy being Lucky, who has like a five-page long un, um, uh, unpunctuated stream of consciousness <laughs> monologue... But becoming that guy, mm. oh man, he got to be the first person to ever say that on a professional stage. Congrat! What a dude. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like Pontecorvo casting him as a stage actor was so that he you would not be distracted anywhere in this film uh, by seeing someone you knew. You know. Right. Yeah. His desperation was to make it feel real, mm. and it was when when they sold it in America. Uh, one of the things they sold it with is like not an inch of newsreel footage in this film. Yeah, which which I knew going in, and I was like watching it. I was like, you don't need to warn people about that. This is all pretty clearly. But then, as it gets, as the action gets bigger and bigger, as you get to people sorting through rubble, and it's all kind of shot from a distance. Mm. It's it's very removed. Pontecorvo uh, talked about how he wanted it to look like a newsreel, like it was yeah. reporters, that this is a film that was about just catching a moment rather than staging them. 
And yeah, it, get it's to... like it's almost entirely like it, it, the the cinematography is like almost entirely handheld, and like yeah, it, it, and and he's using like specific sorts of lenses that journalists would use, and yeah, it is yeah he 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 does an, an incredible job of like of making it all feel so real. Well, and it gets to at yeah the 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 ending of the film is um uh, uh they they are defeated they lose <clears throat> the battle of Algiers. But then a narrator is like, but in 1960, there were riots and protests and, and, the, and, and the French left uh, eventually. And you see these riots, and that's the bit when I was like, it is insane that they staged this. Because they look like real riots. They look like meter-to-meter footage of, of the Springbok tour, you know? Mm. It, it's... Uh, it's just an incredible achievement that even watching it and knowing that it wasn't fake, knew, knowing it was fake, it felt real. Like yeah. this is like there are so many realist films which you watch and you're like, oh yeah, this this feels real. Yeah, this is, you know. Yeah, but like this is your like holy shit. Yeah. Have you watched anything by Peter Watkins? No. Okay, so let me check, but I don't think so. Yeah, the films that I like kept on thinking of when I was watching the the Battle of Algiers were the like early Peter Watkins films, Culloden, The War Game, and Punishment Park. The first of those, which is, which is Culloden, came out uh, in 1964, two years before the Battle of Algiers. Oh, and The War Game came out in in 65, which is one year before the Battle of Algiers. And Watkins is like kind of the first person who. He is often credited with, with like inventing the idea of docudrama. He was making like TV movies for the BBC, but his whole idea was to. So uh, his first film, Culloden, is about the Battle of Culloden, which took place in the Scottish Highlands at the end of the of the 1700s. And he, and he decides to do a film about Culloden as if it was a BBC News documentary team there on the battlefield with them. And, and so it's also like like a sort of verite documentary with, with, with also like interviews with 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 the with the people. And and he is also using like non-professional actors, and make incredibly good use of a very very small budget. And I'd be very surprised if Pontecorvo hadn't seen Nickelodeon or, or the War Game because like the idea of what they're using documentary stylization for is so similar. Where where like in Nickelodeon, Watkins is is using the like like neutral objective aesthetics of the like BBC television documentary to make this incredibly polemical film that is like directly implicating the like English armies in a genocide. Yeah. He is using the like aesthetics of of this type of filmmaking which only ever serves like those in power. And he and he is using it to tell a story of essentially underdogs or people who never get to tell their own story. He is like engaging in a form of historical revisionism to like up- uplift the stories of people who never get their stories told, which is I think exactly what Pontecorvo is doing in Algiers. Well, yeah. And it is a, it is, it is interesting in, in, in that sense. And obviously uh, Watkins and Pontecorvo are, are, are pioneers in this form, but like it's, it's interesting how, much use it has had like you look Mm. at paul greengrass's work um generally has this aesthetic and like specifically like 
bloody and then there's Sunday. like also another uh, there's like an, there's like another Algiers connection with 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 the with the third born movie, which oh, which I was yeah, also yeah. thinking about a lot during this. Ah, that's what I was. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, that was what I, is what I was building to. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> Greengrass did it with with Bloody Sunday and United ninety three. There, there's even a scene in in ah oh, uh, in Quaron's work in some ways. Like you can draw a line between this and Children of Men. Um, but okay, the idea yeah. of taking fictional scenarios. And that it is because this film, because Battle of Algiers feels so singular in a lot of ways that it can only be about this moment. And part of that comes from the fact that it is so clear eyed about its subject matter. As I said, possibly even handed to a fault, which is why, like, like my biggest question about it, and because you've said it a lot, is like, obviously, Ponticorvo is a political filmmaker. But Battle of Algiers didn't really strike me as that political of a film. I mean, like, when people asked him about it, he would always say that he made a politically neutral film. Which I, I think he... Obviously, objectivity is impossible. But, like, I, I, I think he made something that's more, like... It's closer to objective than it is to neutral. It is, like, it is... His goal is to, like, capture things as they were, and that has a an implicit slant to it. We're, yeah. And so, you, you, if you if you go and uh, I, I think you, you you can go and say I'm I'm not I'm not going to like fictionalize anything. I'm not going to make anyone look better than they were or worse than they were. I'm going to capture it like it was. I I, I think you, you 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 can still make a non-neutral film by doing that, just because of like who was involved and what they were doing. Uh, yeah, and it is also like. Like, the very fact that this is a war film, hmm. and, and that we are, that you kind of want to privilege the underdogs, you know? So hmm. there is something obviously political in making the film at all. There is, like, it feels like you never really see the liberationist torturing the French. No. Even it's alluded to, but there are these long and, oh, just horrific, horrific sequences montages of of the french it starts with one yeah the 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 beginning the very beginning of the scene is they just finished torturing someone uh, and they give him coffee and he's afraid afraid to drink it oh man what a beginning what a film i think the key thing for me is that i see that politicization of it i think this film could have gone more new i i think it could have been a black screen with yep. people reading first person account i oh no black is too political i would mm. want it to be 18 percent a gray card or possibly i would maybe it should have just been a a book or not a time machine that's <laughs> what i don't know why uh, if pontecorvo wanted to make a politically neutral film uh he didn't uh do the time warp again yeah. You know, it's 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 a it's a sad time when Richard O'Brien is doing more for a political cause than Eugene Pontecorvo. Because that's all well, like what we should aim for. There's so much disquiet going on in the political world. Yeah. People on the right saying they want to kill people and control bodies, and people on the left saying that they shouldn't do that. <laughs> 
It's it's madness. Which yeah. side do you pick? Yeah, one 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 side's actively fascist. One side's occasionally rude. Ugh. <laughs> hey, sometimes they carry weapons, <laughs> largely because the other side <laughs> always is carries weapons. By their love, <laughs> always <laughs> carries weapons. It's it's like, and so I think you know, left wing, right wing. I'd rather be on the plane, you know, yeah. in the middle. Having a shit, and and that's why I think Battle of Algiers should have just. Oh no! I was about my my joke was going to end with like it should have just been the a day in the life of just a normal person in Algiers <laughs> that's occasionally interrupted with these irritants. <laughs> but like there are moments that are like that. Yes, like when yes, the, when they bomb the cafe, um, which is horrific. Mm. I mean, it's all horrific. Yeah, and, and the, 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 like, terrorism sequences kind of, like, are especially horrifying because it's, like, they are actual locations in Algiers that are actually being blown up. Like, like the, the, this entire film was filmed on location in Algiers, and I guess Pontecorvo had, like, enough support from, from the local people that he could just blow up some of their buildings. This was... I have seen it referred to some places as the first Algerian film. Right, yeah. It was a it was a co-production. Um and so I think yeah, yeah, Pontecorvo is clearly Italian. Um I think that he might have had a lot of support from, you know, the government. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. to get access to places. Yeah. And I presume they're blowing up like derelict places that were hopefully gonna be demolished anyway. Okay. Okay. So I've I, I I figured it out. So um, the actor who played Kader, who was one one of the one of the leaders, he was an actual former leader of the National Liberation Front, and, and he was also one of the film's producers. He'd been a leader in the Liberation Front, and then he he was in exile for a while. He came back. He produced and was one of the stars of this film, and is now to this day a member. Uh, he he is a uh, he he is still a senator in. In, in, in Algeria, he's a, he is he is ninety three years old. He is still alive. He's an Algerian senator. Ah, oh, right. And didn't he? Um. Oh no, yeah, he. Right. No, no, yes, no. He, he didn't yeah, write it, the it, book. No, no, he he Dari did. Dari Yassef wrote the book. No, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Right, that, that, yes. that, that's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I I it's sorry. I just the notes I have are in a weird order. It no. was. Salash Bazi, who was another leader right. that brought the book to Pontecorvo and okay. uh, Franco Solinas, who uh, did the project, and then they brought Yasef on board. Anyway, right. that, just to get, just to un- unpick that mistake there. Mm. Um, but originally, the first draft of the screenplay didn't have any dialogue in it. Oh, wow. or, or conversations, which doesn't really sound like a screenplay, but <laughs> more like just like a note. Just like, what if we made a film? <laughs> um, but some, also, like, some shooting goes here. <laughs> yeah, no, square brackets, revolutionary violence, close <laughs> square brackets. Um, but it is, uh, they, but I kind of buy it. I kind of mm. buy that this film started like like how uh, uh, Greengrass made Bloody Sunday by having an outline and then getting people to, to improvise. Right. Yeah. Um, 
uh, like how I understand how that's Watkins has worked, how Mike yes. Lee and Ken Loach work in that mode. Yeah, the idea and, and that like they started with a framework was a big influence on Ken Loach. The, the final scene of Kathy Come Home, which came out, I think, two or three years after this, was shown. It was a TV. Right. Movie. Oh, no. Same year as this. Okay. Wow. Uh, uh, which is a woman having her children taken from her hmm. uh, in the street. Could be a scene from the Battle of Algiers. Yeah. In its tone and performance. I mean, they are. The, the dubbing is not as bad, but that's because he was working for the BBC and they're pretty good at things like that. Yeah. Yeah. If you like look through, if, if you like look through, be like a list of directors who have like. This is one of their favorite films. It's like it's Ken Loach. It's like Steven Soderbergh. It's Stanley Kubrick. Like this, this film was like like massively impactful on on everyone who's like defined the, the the last like fifty years of independent filmmaking. Oh, and you can just absolutely. It's not a surprise, right? Yeah, yeah. Like this is a film where it's not one of those films like when I finally watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've, t- I've used this equivalent so many times, I apologize, but it's the one I have closest hand. And I was like, oh, every moment of this I have seen referenced in other films and on yes. The Simpsons and whatever. Um, whereas in this, there's no moment, and I'm sure there are individual moments in it that have been uh, reproduced elsewhere, but like it is like, oh no, I, this vibe, I have felt this vibe before, and I felt that this is the pure vibe that other people are diluting, you know? Yeah. The only person on that list who is somewhat of a surprise to me is Stanley Kubrick, because even when he was, you know, when he did Clockwork Orange kind of deliberately in his version of this way, which is like shooting with what a student would have, but with a million bucks. Yeah, it, it does not look like this. But like, also, I th- I think old old square rich, old square Richard uh, understood that there are other ways to make films. You know, yeah. Well, like his his like his number one film of all time for, for the last like thirty years of his life was a Razorhead, and and, and like you, there are like bits that you can kind of feel in like The Shining, but that's not really like something you feel in most of his films. Yeah. I can feel a lot more Kubrick in a razor head than I can feel a razor head in Kubrick, if yeah, that makes yeah. sense. But Battle of Algiers, yeah, it is. Oh, it, feel, it feels so complete as a film. Mm. It, it is one of those films that, that seems like having any thoughts on how it could be uh, improved or adjusted seems uh, uh, foolish. Yeah. Because it, it just is what it is. But I do, as much as I was goofing, I don't, do not wish it to be truly neutral. But there is a sense, and this is because it was being made in a place for an audience who had a, a much more intimate understanding of why that the French colonial rule of Algeria was bad. Yeah, like, um, and like not just, the, the, this, this movie came out like two years after the French like properly pulled out of Algeria. Like this happened. So recently, yeah. yeah. Oh, and this is so, like, this is almost selfish, but yeah, I wish Pontecorvo had thought of the future more. Mm. And and I think that would involve just emphasizing a little more why the French are the bad guys. And, like, when he does it, 
like there there are so many moments where he underlines that there there yeah. is there's a press conference they they did a raid hoping to catch someone uh you know just some guy in the resistance but they happened to find the leader and so they they catch him and so they hold a press conference with him where he's super charming and great um that's great he's just he's yeah it's a hell of a scene from a non-professional actor like he, uh, he's not listed in the cast on Wikipedia, but like whoever he is, does a does a fantastic job just being like incredibly charming and like level headed in, in in that scene. And then you get uh, essentially a time dash. There's a little bit of material between to another press conference with the colonel, and the first question is that guy who you caught, who is the guy who we just saw. Uh, he killed himself, and he's like, "Yeah, it was, it was very tragic." Yeah, it's, it's, like, yeah, it's real sad. How? Yeah, but. Aren't, we have it on record that his arms and feet were tied together at all times. How could he have hung himself? And he's like, oh, the mystery. No, <laughs> who, it, it, who it, it just happened. But you know, I, I respect that he lived out his ideals. <laughs> and, and that's the time when he says, this conflict is simple. They want us gone and we want to stay. Um, <laughs> and it is like, and, and of course that scene is, I find that I found I found that reveal and that way of revealing that they had murdered him incredibly <laughs> chilling and effective. Yeah, and it is it is the moments like that that underline how the France how French are not just a colonial force but an oppressive colonial force. Yeah, that is I mean, me like, just deliberate deliberately yeah. using colonial as a neutral descriptor there. <laughs> co- co- colonialism is bad. <laughs> But, I mean that 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 scene of of, of him talking at a press conference uh, sort of t- turns into him uh, like a, a, t- a bit being asked about the use of torture, but by 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 his men, and and him like justifying the use of torture in the like classic way that people do, like oh you know we 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 want to get information out of his people, but you know if, and if we don't give him information like innocent people are going to get hurt, so we've got to get it somehow, and you know but we're, yeah. we're not go- we're not going any further than we have to. And then that, and then it goes from that press conference into a montage of of the of the like French paratroopers like torturing civilians with like blow torches or by beating them or by like hanging them from the ceilings and uh, waterboarding it's, them. Waterboarding, yeah, yeah it's, it's horrific. It's an incredible sequence. The, the like juxtaposition of him talking about the like effectiveness and necessity of torture into how like abjectly cruel the torture is makes its point very very well. Well, and, and uh, in that sequence, when they're burning a guy with a blowtorch, um, which I do not know how they fake, because it, uh, like, uh, anyway, um, I presume real just, fire coming out of it. Oh, but like he's very sweaty. They probably had fire retardant gel on him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it, it cuts to one of his other prisoners watching and crying. And then the camera zooms out, does one of its many journalistic zooms to a French soldier smoking and just watching like with a wry smile. Mm. Um, and it is like the, the when this film is political, which is always, but when it feels political is when it is making those juxtaposition. Yeah. Like when, like it doesn't feel political when you see 
all the barricades being put up and all the barbed wire that just seems like look this is what's happening it is it's when it shows you the the interpersonal pain um that it feels real and like that is like those torture bits are where this film's unnerving realism really taunts you as an audience member because like oh man i hope those people weren't really hurt i don't yeah. really presu- we like there would be this film is well known enough that there would have been a conch oh the like we would know the french hate this film so much you know yeah. it would be there would be a section on wikipedia about it the the french secret service would have found out it would have been like who I presume is, of course, Inspector Cluzo. <laughs> right. Uh, so, you for. Yeah. For Battle of Algiers. Yeah. Shadow Sound. Sound. This yeah. is a strong one. This yeah. is cracking my top 20 of the films we've watched. Wow, yeah. Maybe the top 10. I really rate this film. And I want to stress again how, like, all of these things apart. It's also just fucking great looking. Like it is. Every shot is this beautiful black and white, grainy, contrasty, a textural cinematography. And, and in pioneering and kind of codifying this realist war film, a conflict drama, he, he like so many of the things that you think are later adjustments, like the focus on giving each character a really clear aesthetic, <laughs> Um, so, you know, he's always got the, ba- the colonel always has the beret and glasses. Different members of the Liberation Force have different distinct glasses and mustache. Yeah. And that's so who you, you can tell who they are in quick documentary-like shots are here. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a real achievement. And I think that, it, like, it's not a great time, but it's not a bad time. I think no. I, it's one of those films that I kind of think everyone should watch. I think this should be a film 101. Mm. Yeah, sound is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I'd agree with pretty much all of that. I, I watched it like pretty late last night, and so I was kind of falling asleep through parts of the first half. So I was like, this is one I'm going to have to like rewatch. But yeah, it's fantastic and it's engrossing. It makes really, really good use of its like documentary aesthetics. And uh, yeah, it's just it's cool as hell. Sound. Yeah, I uh, I wish the uh, yeah I, w- I I wish he'd nailed his flag to the wall a bit more mm. in, in terms of being a bit meaner to the French, and also this film doesn't like has kind of the Altman problem in that it takes a while for you to tune into the fact that there are so many characters and characters just come in and out of the film. There are loads of characters that are treated like they're the main character for one or two scenes. And then they die or are yeah. arrested or you never see them again. And, and so a lot of my first half of this film was being like, should I, do I need to be following names? Are there <coughs> intricate plots I need to follow? And I wish, it, I wish it trained you a little better to be like, no, this is about the moment rather than the people. And right, like the yeah, people yeah. do a great job. Um, and yeah, no, as much as I've ragged on the dubbing multiple times, like it's 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 actually of of films that largely had to shoot without sound because either documentary style or non-professional actors like this is one of the better examples of and i have terrible news though what we look i know we both think it's sound yeah yeah people love it Mm. you know 
everyone does and i'm just going to quickly to prove you to prove this point going to google negative reviews battle of fit yes i have terrible news for you wow what's that it's I've just really handled so much these days you for it's just literally every piece of news that's ever happened <sighs> um in, well, in, we better in get the... started now <laughs> um this is uh no uh uh, I found some negative reviews of it uh, on letterbox.com. And as I think we will hit more and more as we climb this list, uh, the the longest half star review is a um, is someone trolling for light. Uh, uh, a lot of psychopaths leaving one word reviews like garbage. There's a very interesting rev- one sentence review. Um, uh, uh, which I'll, I'll briefly touch on, which is the oppressor-oppressed narrative based on natural-born identity is highly anti-human, which, um, which is by uh, Hayat. Um, uh, so congrats on that. Jordan B. Peterson. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's him. We got him, finally. Yeah. We've, we got we've him on the podcast, but yes, no. As we go up this list, it is harder and harder to actually find negative reviews. Multiple one-star reviews of this on Letterbox uh, explain that they're largely marking it down because when they saw it, they could not read the subtitles for different reasons. Right, and in one, yeah, in in one situation, their DVD player was broke, and the other, there was someone sitting in fr- in front of the projector. Um, so I don't think that's the film's fault. Mm. Um, but I think, uh, Livy Isda, who has seen it before, but reviewed it and gave it one and a half star, uh, does kind of somewhat underline the message of the film while not liking it. Uh, right. short and sweet, this one. I'm going to be real honest. I watched this, but really didn't do it. Three cheers for history repeating itself. <coughs> One of our most salient political commentators there. Oh. Um, oh, I have terrible... N- okay. Um, Livy Isda explains in her bio... This is the... This is the this explains everything. This is a yeah. codex for her political thought. Uh, I wanted my name to be Livy Isda Best, but didn't have enough characters LMFAO. Right. Uh, that, and they explain that their use of y'all is because they're from the South. <laughs> uh, do you want to guess their top four favorite films? Uh, sure. Okay. One is one of your favorite films. Is it one of my top four? Is it, uh, is, is it Green Room with the Floor, Stop Making Sense, or The Apartment? No, uh, it, is, it is not one of those four. Okay. Um, but it is, it is, it is one of the films you regularly cite is among your favourite. Right. Uh, it is, uh, how do I spoil, uh, no, how do I give you a clue without spoiling it? Uh, it's very colourful. Uh, right. It's about the weather. Hmm. About the weather. Do, do I talk about uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs a lot? No, but that takes you kind of close to one of the other films on uh, Livy's list. Right. Uh, uh, That's right, it's Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2. Meatballs 2, yeah. 
Well, the weather. Yeah. Well, a part of it is. Maybe one of the most favourite parts. Okay. Famous. Uh, is, is, it, is it Parasite? What part of Parasite is about? Oh, because the rain. Yeah, it's a whole storm. You're thinking of the right kind of weather. But it's about rain? Yeah, I will, I'll go down the cast list. Linda Cardellini, not alive yet, so not okay. in it. Uh, Rita Moreno, uh, a lot of uncredited dancers. Oh, Lana Turner, uncredited in it. Gene Hagen, Millard Mitchell. Oh, oh right, oh, it's, it's, it's Singing in the Rain, right. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. That's one, what, of, what, that's one what, of your what, guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. What a fucking film. Yeah, I know, like, Great. I always forget Gene Kelly co-directed. That mm. explains somewhat some of the stories of him just being horrific to Debbie Reynolds on set. Yeah. But we got a film out of it. <laughs> sure did. Uh, the next one is maybe the second most famous film about a list. Uh, so it's not Schindler's List. It's not Schindler's List, yeah. Maybe. Is- the second most famous film about a list. Depending on how is, prominent is it, is the, it the list is. It's not, no. Is it I would the to-do list is, starring Aubrey Plaza? No. And it's not <laughs> Kill Bill, which is the other film <laughs> I would think might be at this level. This is it, is, is uh, it Kill List? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kill List, a film I really enjoy that I think is above... <laughs> Kill Bill in the public imagination. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, this is this film isn't necessarily big. I think it just has a surprisingly wide footprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it introduced us to one of um, cinema's great heartthrobs. Oh, oh, uh, right. it's it's uh, it's 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 the film where Daniel Day Lewis play, plays a Native American accountant. <laughs> list of the Mohicans. <laughs> No, you're forgetting his real introduction, My Left Foot, <laughs> or My Beautiful List Dreck, I guess. Sure. Um, I do have to check whether Linda Cardellini is in it, mm. but she is not. Other people, Larry Miller, Gabriel Union, David Crumholt, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in there. Um, oh, okay, wait, 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 uh, okay, can you, can you uh, go, go for that list again? Okay, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, David Crumholt, right. Gabriel Union, Larry Miller, Alison Janney. Alison Janney is the one I really remember. Um, okay. It, there's a Bourne connection as well. Julia Stiles is here. This is 10 Things I Hate About You. Ding, ding, ding. Man, so, so often I'll go on YouTube and watch the scene where, where Heath Ledger is singing in the, in the stands. <laughs> It's one one of one of my favorite scenes in any movie. He's he, oh god, what what a, he's he's so he's so incredible in that movie. Well, and that is like, like it, it, as much as that kind of nineties era of teen rom coms contains some just horrific uh, and worse boring films. Yeah. Like it is nice that it clearly has an apex in this. Like yeah, everything in it is great. And, and like, that's me saying calling Mean Girls a slightly different thing. Yeah, well, that's also 2000s rather than 90s. Yeah, yeah. But it is, oh, what a film. Yeah. The next one, uh, 
is yeah, you were close with Cloudy with Chance of Meatballs by the same company, I believe. Okay. Uh, Craig Ferguson, American Ferrera, uh, No Cardellini. Is it an episode of The Late Late Show? Yeah. Yes. It, it, it's uh, the one where they got uh, Matt Smith on, I think. That's the <laughs> one full episode of that I've seen. And it was so dense within jokes that I could not pass. I could not understand half of it. Like, I used to go to sleep by listening to um, very specific Magic the Gathering podcast <laughs> because it, it, they're speaking English mm. about concepts I can kind of understand, but not really. Right. So it's very easy to tune out. Uh, and that's what the Late Late Show was like. Oh, you, and you, I'm, you, 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 I've got to say, you, you, should, you should get into, into some old uh, Late Late Show videos. Because uh, oh. Craig, 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 Craig Ferguson is uh, uh, probably the best person ever to host a, a, a late night talk show. And, and, like, and what he did with the Late Late Show is like the most, I think, like the, the like most consistently good and creative stuff anyone's done in that, in that format, maybe ever. Oh, I, Apart I, from I, like arguably Conan at his peak, but like, uh, I don't know. I don't even think he's been the best on the Late Late Show because you're, I, you're, you're a big fan I love, of uh, you're a big fan of James Corden. If there's one thing I love about James Corden, <laughs> is that when he is like doing a funny bit and staring into the camera, there's no sense of manic desperation in his eyes. There's not like, did you see? The, I'm sure you saw the video that advertising the James A. Caster Cinderella film. They yeah. should really emphasize more that James A. Caster is in it. That's what's getting me to see it. Wait, um, is he? Is, oh, no. Yeah, yeah no. Oh, uh, that's very disappointing. Yeah. yeah. And Billy Porter. Um, but, yeah. uh, but in that wonderful video uh, where they're dancing, and they've, they've stopped people in their cars and are dancing and... And J oh, Jimmy Corden, Pedro Rabbit himself, what a funny guy, uh, dances up to that car in that spectacularly, just horrifically <laughs> cheap costume. <laughs> like, I could, I could afford a better costume than that and thrust his crotch while smiling. There's, I, what I love most about him is that energy of there's not a sense of just absolute deadness uh, of someone who's never engaged with other humanity ever. You know that, have you ever read his AMA? No. There's, uh, uh, people bring up, there's a story on there that's gone around a lot. Mm. And uh, obviously he's never, um, he's never replied to this or, or, uh, uh, or it's never been confirmed, but I believe uh, it is, it is true is, and I love this story because it shows um, what a caring and cool guy he is, I think. Mm. Um, so he was on a plane. A woman sat down next to him with a baby. Uh, and, and so Corden put his headphones on uh, uh, and just really kindly just read stuff on his iPad through the whole flight, three or four hour flight. The baby was quite noisy. The woman was having quite a tough time with the baby. Mm. Um, and, and so he just tuned out. And like, I think that's the best thing to do in that situation. And of course, uh, as they were getting off the plane, she turned and, and said to him, 
fuck James, could you've done something? He's your baby too. Right, right, yes, yeah. No, <laughs> uh, I, I, I love remember that story. story. Uh, I think he does just, what a good man. Uh, <laughs> okay, so this, okay, so we're still on uh, the animated film. Yeah, uh, is, it, uh, is, is it one of the, like, How to Train Your Dragon movies? It is, it's How to Train Your Dragon Right, one. yeah. Um, though, apparently people, like, those in Cloudy with a Chance, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is good. And I've seen How to Train Your Dragon, but, you know, I wasn't really paying attention. But yeah, I can yeah. absolutely understand why people think it's good. Yeah, uh, pe- pe- people, people seem, to, seem to like those movies. Uh, and the last one, uh, the beginning of a short franchise. Uh, no Cardellini. It's, uh, uh, it's, like, it's kind of like how... Did we keep it or not? Like, talking to you about Nightmare on Elm, on Elm Street. It's that kind of horror, you know? Um, not made by an American, but an American film that is kind of like, oh, this is what you think is scary. Um, ooh, what else should you know? Is, uh, is it Hellraiser? No, 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 no. Like it's, like, it's fine. You gave it three and a half stars and i think that's a bit fair i give so Um, i give so many movies three and a half stars it was um it was set up and largely written by another director uh who had to leave and um uh uh, who who was fired by fukunawa who harry fukunawa of of all 10 hours of no time to die was going to direct it um uh, and then left uh, and another director came on in right yeah um, yeah um who, who was this um cannot can remember this movie uh, and the the reason the sequel is bad despite oh, no, having it's it, it's it. A, yeah it's it yeah and yeah and the yeah. reason the sequel is bad is because they don't have all the prep work for Kanawa did mm. um well and and other things the the, the, the sequel's also two and a half hours long and every second of it is excruciating. And it acts like, um, it acts like the conclusion of, like, a ten-film saga. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh. nah. yeah, no, it, it's horrific. I just have so, I'm developing so much more time, having seen all of Barry. This is a Barry recommendation for the listeners. I've already heavily recommended it then. Um, by saying it is the closest American TV we'll ever get to see on Sono, um, without, like, in the tone thing, there's much less nudity. But I'm <coughs> really into serious Bill Hader. Like, I think he has right, a lot yeah. going for him. And, like, Chastain isn't bad. No, like, she, she's, she's, she's good in the movie, but the movie gives her nothing interesting to do except be, like, battered by her husband with a belt in the opening scene. And, like... I love McAvoy. Yeah. Um, no, but, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of good actors with a lot of bad material in that movie. Well, and just everything that it too wants to do, no, I think Dr. The thing Sweet that, like, does well. Yeah, I, you know? I think the thing that makes me the most uh, mad about It Chapter 2 is, uh, I mean, apart from the like utter laziness of it, is there is a scene which is just the spiderhead scene from The Thing. Yeah. They, they, they just they just fully do that scene, but yep. but, uh, but 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 the spider head is now uh, just entirely CGI and it's not scary or gross. And have, 
Have you seen the new thing, the like 2011 prequel remake thing? No, I haven't, but I, I, I will because, uh, uh, because it's got Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it. It's not like the biggest problem that film has is that someone, it's the same problem as the New Zealand film Under the Mountain, mm. which is clearly they did incredible design work. Like, the creatures' designs in the, in the thing brackets 2011 yeah. are really good. And, and looking at behind-the-scenes stuff, yeah, they had... They did it all practically first. Yeah, and yeah. then someone was like, nah, we have to CGI over all of this, and it just it looks shit and it sucks. Yeah. Um, and that is, like, like, for the thing, like, who cares? It's a remake. But Under the Mountain, we deserve a good Under the Mountain film. Mm. And Jonathan King deserves to be able to make more films. He shouldn't be in movie jail because Black Sheep is good and Under the Mountain is, is not bad. But yes. you have a Jordan Peterson update. For uh, I do. So um, he was asked on the 21st of January this year, uh, what's your favorite movie? You talk a lot about your favorite books, but little about movies. Just curious. And he responded, Fiddler on the Roof, Magnolia and Babette's Feast. Those I- are his top three. I understand Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the mm. Roof for a lot of people is a film you watch a lot with your family, especially. No. Is so I presume Peterson is Jewish. No, um, I, don't, I don't believe so. Uh, either way, that doesn't. That's not mandatory for enjoying it. It's just <laughs> I know it is a film that a lot of Jewish families watch a lot. Yeah. Um, and nah. his most recent uh, tweet about movies was from the twenty third of August, and it said, "I went to a movie tonight at a theater. What a miracle! It's been maybe two years." Wait, go. Sorry, no, I was just going to stop you, because if, if he was about to say that he liked Tenet, I was going to kill myself. No, no, it's, it's anyway. Free Guy with Ryan oh, Reynolds and Taika Waititi. Oh, I, like, I'm just happy for Jodie Comer, 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 to, Comer, to, to be getting yeah. Yeah. Free Guy, uh, <laughs> fun, smart, creative, and a perfect archetypal structure. Persona, shadow, anima, self, in that order. Perfect. <laughs> no! It does make me like Magnolia a little less <laughs> that he likes Magnolia. No. I assume he really identifies with Tom Cruise in that movie. I mean, there is a bit in that film. My favorite, no, my second favorite line in that film uh, is that he's doing an interview and the interviewer asks him a personal question he doesn't want to answer. So he just goes quiet. And she goes, Frank, what are you doing? And he says, what am I doing? I'm quietly judging you. And I think, I think that really lays out a lot of Jordan Peterson's approach. It's like, keep your room quiet before you can quietly judge people. Okay, Finn. Yes. Red Dawn. Dan Bradley. Shot in 08, D- Destined for 09, delayed because of MGM's finance drug. Yep. Then re-edited to change the villain uh, and to, released to, in... to to change a one type of Asian person for a different sort of Asian person. Well, but also with like the nice outcome that at least one of the vi- the, the the villains in Red Dawn, uh, well, originally originally were Russians and Mexicans, I believe, in the original in, 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 the, in the first one. Yeah, in the nineteen eighty four film. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, uh, Russians and Cubans, I'm sorry. Right, yeah. Sorry, I've seen enough of the film, <laughs> of that film, to see character, a Russian character speaking to someone in Spanish. Right. Uh, uh, and John Milius is 
genuinely right-wing and insane enough that I was like, oh, he definitely thinks the Mexican, you know, the Mexicans and uh, Russians would team up. But no, Cuba makes a bit more sense. But, but yeah, the, the, the remake, the original intention was that uh, America is being invaded by the Chinese as a repossession because America has uh, defaulted on a lot of its debt. Okay. Uh, and they changed it to North Koreans, which had the nice effect, I think, in, in that, like, the main bad guy... Sorry, I just want to find his name. Uh, it's like a, a, a William Lee, I think. Yeah, William Lee, playing the main bad guy, is already a Korean actor, I believe. Yes. Yeah, he, he's a Korean-American actor who was cast as a Chinese... who was cast as a Chinese man, but, and, yeah. and then in post-production was, like, what was, was, like, re-edited in, into a Korean. So, yeah. he, so he, he, he is a Korean-American playing it, playing a Chinese man who has been being turned into a, into a Korean man. Um, I, and yes, yes uh, uh, I, I did not mean to diminish uh, his, uh, his right to, and it, that's also true of Kenneth Choi. Mm, yeah. um, a long cast list, very few Asian names in it. And yeah, both of them are, and they're not reshoot. There were no reshoot. They just it did CGI, I believe. Right, yeah. And I think I think they cut stuff. This film is like a trim ninety. It's yeah. seen, but it is like it. It has. Have you you have you seen Fan Four Stick, the no. Frank one? Uh, uh, the experience of watching this film, to, to steal uh, the analogy from Dear Departed New Zealand Film Podcast, uh, it was called The Walkout Boys, uh, uh, but before that it was uh, Deep Tuesday. Um, mm. uh, the, in their review of Finn Forstick, they compared it to when you're writing Happy Birthday on a sign. Right, uh, yeah. And yeah. you start with a big H, and eventually the Y is curling around. This film feels like that. There's so much weight put right at the beginning, setting everything up, everyone together, and then it just starts skipping over stuff as it relates more and more to the conflict. And I think that is them cutting out China-specific stuff. Yes. And, and they, haven't even, they haven't even caught everything. There's a lot of... Um, it's not the hammer and sickle, but it is another communist Chinese... Emblem mm, yeah. that's in a lot of the background that's on their propaganda, um, but at least they've redubbed the the talk is all in Korean. That yeah. which like you know they wouldn't have to do, but that so that and it's the first and only film directed by yeah Dan Bradman, Bradley, Bradley. Dan Brad, yeah Dan Bradley as I said uh, famed stuntman yeah uh, uh, it, it, it crashed and burned. Um, and understandably so, but I like that my arc through this film is like the real tragedy of this film is that it is that Dan Bradley fucked up his attempt to become a feature filmmaker, a feature mm. film director, because as much as people rag on the the post born handheld uh, action style. That, that, that Bradley defined to the point where, like, when Quantum of Solace wanted to steal it, they hired him and his mm. team, you know? The yeah. reason Quantum of Solace feels like a Bourne film is because they literally got um, uh, is that a sp I think in Supremacy and Ultimatum, 
uh, at work. It, it is this, this sense of impact, flurry, and fury. And, and, and is like an interesting aesthetic, like the car chase in, in Ultimatum, just crashing all the time in New York, is an all-time great car chase. Yes. Uh, and he has a sense of visual skill, which there are moments in this where you're like, I kind of, kind of there, there's a bit where, yeah. so yeah, like there's this bit uh, uh, where a mine goes off, a bomb goes off in a hallway, killing someone. And it is framed so, the shot is under a second long. It might be just be 12 frames, but he, it, it looks handheld, but he has framed it so perfectly. So this person is a silhouette. The bomb goes off as a greater silhouette, takes them out. It is just like this moment. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the Dan Bradley I want. Feel right, the impact yeah, yeah. of these things. When, when Chris Hemsworth hit um, a, 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 a paratrooper with a car, and you feel the crunch, and you see mm. the shake of it. You're like, yeah. The, but everything else in the film, he's absolutely... Like, the biggest problems with this film... No, okay. There's one major problem, which is the fact that it exists, it tonally exists, and is vile. Um, but the second is that Dan Bradley just does not give a shit about it. Uh, right, and yeah, yeah. All of the performances, even like William Lee, Kenneth Choi, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Chris Hemsworth, like th these are people who've given good performances. Josh mm. Heck has given good comic performances. Yeah, no, um, the entire time I was watching this movie, I was just thinking about like how much better fat, goofy Josh Peck is than skinny, brooding Josh Peck. Who's doing this weird like Marlon Brando whisper mumble the entire movie, but he's not Marlon Brando. And, and Adrian Palecki, and who is one of the two, who is Hemsworth's love interest, yeah. has like, I, I have no strong feelings, but she nah. is a kind of person who has a, who has a fan base and, and people have really liked her performance. Like she has like, and I've seen her do other work where she has characters like she's hmm. never been my favorite thing in a film but it's purely a taste thing and um i i've never engaged with isabel lucas before but i know but like i'm i'm sure she's better than this and what they're all doing is in first take generic acting acting like yeah. actor acting that's all it's overly mannered it's overly wry they're all mumbling and not making eye contact. Everything is either super sincere or super sarcastic. Um, they're always just chuckling at each other. It just feels so, like, fake. Yeah. Every piece of dialogue feels like a first draft, and every performance feels like a first take. It is... Yeah, you're so on the dialogue. Because there are so many bits where it's like, oh, hey, good to see you, bro. Mm. Oh, no, what is it? It's like, oh, hey... Hey, you don't remember me, but yeah, uh, no, we went to, and then they say like, blah, 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 camp together. And yeah. it is so clearly like, it might as well say, square brackets, characters meet each other. They went to camp together. <coughs> like it is, it is so inane and it is, yeah, we've said this before. I don't think it's ever been truer here, but it is like a fake film. It is a film that Mark Wart, not that what's his name is in, in Entourage. It is one of the trailers at the beginning of Tropic Thunder. Yeah. It is, it is like, and it, and it's about, it's so, so I've been speaking too much. What, 
Red Dawn. Go. No, like there's there's no, there's nothing to say about it. it. It's it's a movie that, that makes absolutely no impression in in almost any way. It like opens with this with with this like montage of like of like world economic collapse and oh things are going bad and oh, here's some Obama speaking and oh here's yep. here's some here's some charts going down and oh careers yep. oh they 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 they're saber rattling everything's scary and then there's like the scene of Josh Peck playing football and he's like the team quarterback and that's the moment where it loses me where it, where it tries to make me think that Josh Peck could be a quarterback but also just like anytime a movie makes me watch American football uh, I just get reminded how almost all sports are stupid but American yep. football is like top level dumb guy sports just like the stupidest thing anyone's ever thought of and they treat it like it's a fucking religion and it's so crazy to me and like to me the biggest problem with that is i am less anti-sport than you i i i do understand the fact that like the difference between us and people who obsess about sport is literally one extra letter there's one extra letter between film and sport like uh, uh, and uh I can understand the beauty of it uh, as much as I don't feel it. Um, I think, like all things, there's a real problem with the culture around them, but like, yeah. I think a lot of the problems in the culture around rugby in New Zealand are not rugby's problems, they're New Zealand's drinking problem. Oh, uh, yeah, with, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but with American football, because it, I could not, I cannot explain at all how that game worked. No. You know what I mean? Like, I could not even begin, and like, it feels like there are so many things in it where it's like, oh, a good thing happened, but it's bad? Or, who knows? Like, and oh, like, the, the guys ran at each other for two seconds, and now there's like another timeout. And, and where it's like watching a baseball film or a soccer film or, I don't know, a lacrosse film. Hmm. Um, you can understand the stakes in those situations. Yes. You don't yeah. need to read FIFA guidelines to enjoy Shaolin soccer. Huh? <laughs> um, well, it, I think that's probably actually better enjoyed not not fully understanding the rules of soccer. No, uh, uh, as far as I understand, there's a, uh, uh, by my memory, there's a scene in Shaolin soccer where, where Stephen Chow does a matrix kick <laughs> uh, uh, um, of the ball uh, uh, into the you know, like, off someone's head, yeah. <laughs> through and, the and, sky, and, 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 then, and then Tim Roth and Gerard Depot do come up and say, hey, we'd like to put you in FIFA. Yeah, you, you really united our passions. <laughs> and this film, like, the assumption of this, like, I want to be clear, North Korea is horrifying. That mm. it exists, that it has the military power, that it does, that they're so cruel to their citizenry, everything about it is disgusting. And also, nations have a right to protect themselves. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I, I'm not arguing against any of these things. Uh, but this film's point is never real. Like, as much as this is a film about fighting off an invasion, this is a film about American soil and American men doing what's yes. right. Uh, and with that comes this massive assumption of American exceptionalism that is kind of best encapsulated in the fact that we, we've seen so much American football in films and it never explains it because they assume everyone knows, you know? Yeah. And that's the same dumb idea that leads to, like, Jeffrey Dean Morgan looking at Chris Hemsworth, a Marine that has trained a group of teenagers into a hit 
squad and going like, you are what's right about this country. <laughs> right, yeah, and yeah. Um, and, and and here is the one, the I, I watched Red Dawn, I watched the beginning of the other Red Dawn, and the thing you will like about it is that it also starts at a football game. And I was like, oh, is this a closer remake than we thought? But then, no. Mm. Then the attack starts straight away. Okay, the game wow. is interrupted. And I'm like, yeah, no, that that's it. And isn't it insane that Red Dawn 2012 is 90 minutes? Mm. Uh, 93. Red Dawn 84 is um, just under two. It's 115. Okay. And Red Dawn 2014 takes about 20 minutes to get to the invasion. Yes. Whereas 1984, it's like, it's maybe within five minutes. It's, an, it's, it's great. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's, that sounds like what you want from this movie, rather than 20 minutes of incredibly terrible and uninteresting like exposition and characters that you'll never care about being introduced. Yeah. I, do you like Gilmore Girls? Uh, I've never, I've never, never watched Gilmore Girls. Oh, Bunhead? No, never watched that. Uh, I I love both those shows. Hmm. Um, uh, I love. Uh, uh, I've enjoyed what I've seen of Gossip Girl. I just want to state that when I make clear what I say, the following: it's twenty minutes of CW bullshit. <laughs> like, right, yeah, like you know, like oh Drake, my, my, my like oh Drake, I gotta study for practice and. <laughs> Uh, uh, look at that guy so cool or whatever and it is just vapid boring they're irritating yeah like you don't like them you don't care about their struggle and then you get to the comic point where the attack starts they get everyone together and they've added four extra guys who you've seen once or twice before but you're like it's so crazy that it's like, oh, and you have the sacrificial lambs. I look forward to them being killed slowly yes, over yeah. this film. Like, it is CW. Yeah, it's an episode of a CW show. And it is like, oh, it's so, like, why? And it's not even, and like, my whole point in listing the ones I like is it's not a good one. Mm, yeah. It's not like you can do that well. Ugh. What do you think of Hemsworth in this? Hemsworth is uh, uh, the gritty marine. Who has just returned from Iraq? Yeah, I like. Yeah. I mean, like he's not particularly good in it at all. There are like a few moments where he is like, where where he is like, I think doing something good, or like he is like he he is able to make the, the material seem like charming and engaging, and, and like in the, yeah. the the like bit where where him and Adrian Palicki are sitting on the on the train tracks and be like. And, and they're talking. I, 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 I like like a, 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 a fair bit of what's going on in that scene, but like mostly, I have no real interest in in what he's doing. My favorite moment of Hemsworth in the movie is when uh, he walks through a doorway and uh, uh, onto a hall and gets shot in the head right in front of his girlfriend, and like, like actively no. hilarious. That moment's so funny. No, that 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 is, and not not being cruel to Hemsworth. Mm. That is the best bit of the film because it is it is also a genuinely inventive. Well, not not fucking inventive. This has been done a million fucking times. But like, he is the lead of the film up until this point. There's still yeah. about fifteen minutes to go, and it's just like a connective mid shot of him walking up to someone. There's no tense music. 
Yeah. Um, and it, it's like an accident happened. He just gets shot in the head and goes down. It's a genuine surprise out of nowhere. Um, and, that, and, and that is, again, because it is surprising as opposed to like, oh, the foot Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> like, it is, you can see that this is, I think, this was shot between Thor being filmed and Thor coming out. Okay. Um, and you can see it's still early Hemsworth, who is still like just jaw dropping, a jaw droppingly attractive man who knows how to drop a joke. Yeah. Who who has not yet come into his oneness of being like, oh no, I need to be the non toxic dude. Mm. Like I need to be, like, I need to be the millennial Keanu. Yeah, you know? but because Hemsworth is like is so hot, all of the other like dudes in the film, like like, like Josh Peck and Josh Hutchison, are constantly running around like like trying trying like get jut out of their chins to make their to make their jaw seem more defined. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> there's there's one scene where, where where Josh Hutchison is running down the street with his sort of mouth open like that. Yeah, yeah. He's pushing. He's he's pushing his chin out, like just as far ahead of him as he can while he runs, and it looks absurd. And like he's he's just trying to make himself look as look as good as Hemsworth does. He, it is like Hutchison is the weakest link, I think, in this film. Yeah, no, he's he's a real non-entity. Um, and part of that is that I have no I I have no idea what that character is for. Mm. Uh, well, uh, he, like, he's the guy who knows about technology, I guess. Well, and I so because I in the first of... scene he has a podcast. Oh, that's right. Ugh. Who would do that? Um, but I also assume that because of him and in being introduced as a hacker, because it's not a film made in the last twenty years, if someone isn't a hacker, um, is that his plot was somehow related to the. China debt thing, right? Um, I uh, and because he notably stays alive to the end, mm. um, so I think he, there may have been a whole plot with him that is gone. This is he is. This came out at the same time as the Hunger Games, um, in yeah, which, and 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 Journey to the, the Mysterious Island, yeah, which is Journey to the Mysterious Island's good fun, mm. um, not not because of him though, and like in the Hunger Games films which I generally rate with the obvious massive problem that the last two films should be one film. Um, he is fine in those, but that is because it is like the Charlie Hunnam in, in Pacific Rim thing. Like his skill is being a, a, a kind of wet cipher for the film to happen around. Yeah. Whereas in the, it's just like, what? Who, who like, uh, and it is, it just, is it's insane that this they make this film was made. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like the way to make this film worse is is that if it was hugely successful, right? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> but it it's just shit, man. Like Bradley balked it so bad because this plot, because essentially, yeah, first twenty minutes CW show, then training montage. They are elite. They're like all out in the wood, and Chris Hemsworth is teaching them how to be. Like he's he's teaching him his his like cool guy marine skills like 
uh, how, how to jump off rocks onto some other rocks and yeah. how to field dress a wound and uh, where like all of the others are building how to like eat MREs meal, meals ready to eat yeah. like, pouring one out of a can I mean he just runs up behind him with a pistol and starts firing in the air to scare them and he's like first of all how is that helping uh, second of all you just wasted a bunch of ammo which like you've already established isn't short supply third yeah. of all uh, you just made a lot of noise in the woods that'll alert them this is yeah. like a bunch of, no no reason to do this uh, and then they yeah they become a terror cell taken out the career yeah and they die one by one one oh one one becomes a traitor during the cw bit which does have some action beats in it yeah um but it, but even like the one of them is revealed to be a traitor thing is is all like oh my god i can't believe you're playing for the the other team geronimo no <laughs> um uh, and then, yeah, and then you know, l- 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 later they like they they get their revenge on him by blowing him up, and the, the, the like line that Josh Peck has before they blow him up is, "Hey Pete," and then Pete looks around and he just like flips him, he like gives him a finger, and then yeah. and then Pete blows up and he's like, "Great, here's a serious grab on Pete." It's a good explosion though. They call themselves yeah. the Wolverines. Yeah. Um, after the football team. Well, no, it's because it's from a set in Metropole. <laughs> yeah, they all have adamantium skeletons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which makes more sense, I assume, in the original film, because that is, in, in the original film, they're also called the Wolverines, and also that is the name of the football team. But that's because the attack starts then. And this, it mm. is just like, seems like these faded adolescent washouts Played by twenty somethings, just desperately clinging on to their high school experience yeah. in a way that just makes you like, "Oh, you were all the bullies." I understand this. Now. Yeah, because oh. uh, I think like like yeah. So jo- jo- Josh Peck's character is is the quarterback at the beginning of the film. I think like which maybe... is the least convincing thing in this very yeah. unconvincing I mean, like, film. Like maybe one of the other guys who ends up in the in, in their like insurgent squad is also in the football team. I and, believe and, so. Yeah, yeah and, and and then Chris Hemsworth's done right. I think. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like implied that, that, that like Chris Hemsworth char- Chris Hemsworth's character like used to be the quarterback. Yeah, like like six years all, ago or whatever. Yeah, because him and just Pecker brothers and there's. Some very faint, barely sketched in conflicts. There's like, yeah, oh, like, oh you left when Mum died, and uh, their, their dad's Chris Cooper, who you're like, oh, I wish there was more Chris Cooper in this movie. Okay, no, it's just a guy who looks like Chris Cooper. Ah, okay, it's, it's so a guy it's called not... it's a guy called Brett Cullen. Ah, a member of the Cullen family. Yeah, he, he's a guy who plays Thomas Wayne and Joker. Okay, yeah, I was I was so convinced it was Chris Cooper the whole time. Me too. Like, I didn't think it, but you said it, and I was like, oh yeah, of course it's... Yeah. He played uh, Blake Lovely's dad in The Shallows, maybe? Uh, yeah, the the yeah. lead of The Shallows. Do you think, like, Blake Lively turned up to set, find that the shark had a bigger trailer, and was like, but that's, the shark's not even fucking real! <laughs> yeah, right. no, she, she was furious about it. Uh, I mean, but then she can get her husband Deadpool on it. Yeah. And he can be all like, Oh, talk about jumping the shark. Yeah, he's going to have some serious wisecracks. Uh, that guy, he just loves giving films the business. Yeah, I was, for, for some reason last night, I was looking for David Leach's filmography. And I was like, oh, um, right, he did Deadpool 2. 
Oh, and Fast, uh, and Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, and and like this is like my thesis on 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 Dan Bradley balking this film, uh, and again balking it because he doesn't care about acting. Like the reason mm. so much of it seems like fit, I just don't think he talked to the actors or coached yeah. them. They are doing line readings that you prepare that seem cool and wise when you're looking in the mirror, and that. And, and like, there's no shape. There's the mortal engines problem. That scenes dialogue really has um, a build to it, and on almost like a micro level of like, you kind of want you want to make sure people speak at different paces throughout a scene. Yeah. And, and, and where you can tell like, mortal engines was made by a visual effects guy, I believe, or a models guy. Yes. Yeah. And, and so you can, t- and it is like, it is genuinely the matter of just needing directors to be able to be like, okay, that, Chris, Josh, Josh, that was great. Now, I just need you, like, can you give it to me at double speed? Or can, at the end, just like, give it a bit more gas, because then we're going to, we're going to cut hard to a tank, you know? We need mm. some oomph into that. And so it is like, so much of this film just feels so leaden. Yeah. Mm. And it just doesn't whip. Like, not enough of the fight no, all, whip. All, all, all of the action scenes are super boring. Like, yeah. you know, like, there's a... Well, yeah, no... Like, it, it, it's just like, oh, they, they... like All the Wolverines pop out of the window and shoot a bunch of Koreans, and then, oh, they're hiding again. And, like, it, it, even as they get bigger up the film, like, oh, there's a tank now, or there's, like, a bunch of people. Like, they're still all boring. Yeah, it, like I like it's it's something where I'm like I'm not even fully sure why they're all boring because it seems like they should be like it it seems it seems like they should at least be fun but but just like none of them are. I think part of it is lacking stake because mm. there I think if you went through this and did a supercut I think the action is well shot and well framed and well choreographed. Mm. I don't think Bradley has forgotten how to do that. Yeah. Um, and and uh, like they're obviously taking out Hemsworth, that bit is cool. Uh, there's a bit where they have to jump across a gap, which is like really impactful. And the sequence of when they first just see the paratroopers in the sky, someone shoots at a plane, it crashes, and then they're driving in a truck. Like cars are getting in their way, they're hitting them with these paratroopers in the sky. Is I think if you watched it in isolation like a very well achieved action sequence it is that the rest of the film around it by not really building into or out of those those pace issues and the fact that you do not care like and not like i don't hate these characters i do do, like i feel nothing the opposite of uh of you know the opposite of hate being indifferent just really there's a bit where adrian palecki is going to like a border where she has to get her documents checked. But she, she, she gets spooked and she runs, so they send guards chasing her. So she rounds a corner, and the rest of the team pop out of camouflage and shoot them. And that sequence on its own is really interesting because you don't know what the trick is until it happens. The, yeah. the moment of them popping up is sudden and well-framed. There's an interesting character beat in it because Peck, one of the Joshes, is yeah, still afraid H- of fire. Hutchison. Hutchison still can't fire his gun. Like, he's too afraid to. Mm. Um, and, uh, like, it's a good sequence. 
the problem is you don't care about any of it. So you're just like, oh, come on. Yeah. I think like and Dan Bradley has gone back to doing second unit work on a bunch of stuff. What is he? Right. Like um, he he's not a. It, but like you can like the problem with the Quantum of Solace is that the action scenes of Quantum of Solace are great. The opening car chase in Quantum of Solace is the best car chase in any Bond film, though I think Fukunawa will take a real big tilt at it. Um, uh, um, it and it's just that the story in between is so, like, not, it feels so mangled and slightly, like, out of phase with mm. itself that you're like, that those things don't really matter. But, like, he did the stunt on um, Assassin's Creed, which is a film with good stunts and bad film, yet again. But, like, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, he, he knows, you know? Mm. And it is, I just, he could that, be... That, that's, he, that's, a, that, that, that's a film that asks uh, what, what if it was a ghost protocol. Yeah, he, he could have been... He also did, like, he, he did Ad Astra. All right. Three. Oh, awesome. Um, and, and two, two, Woman, two perfect movies. Wonder Woman 84, which is a film that I don't think we could ever really judge the stunts on, considering that all the stuff he would have worked on would then have had people go through and digitally fuck it up so they could hide yeah. the fact that Cheetah's appearance looks like one of the cats from Cat. That's my, my most sincerely held one-person film theory film conspiracy theory. and he could have been leaked or yeah. um who's the other guy Stahelski half yeah. a decade before them and if he had just, just direct those like this film could be like a gross film that kicked and the stunts are not the problem with that the acting yeah no because there's like like the bit they kidnap the mayor and um Josh and Chris's dad, and the mayor's like, "Come out, please, it's for the best." And then the dad's like, "Kids, I'm gonna ask you to do what I do—the hardest thing. I want you to kill all these Koreans. All these pieces of shit." Um, there's a weird jump in that thing, so I'm sure he talks about them being Chinese at that point. (laughs) Like, uh, uh, and. That would be an incredible... That could be the guy on the phone, like the camp action drag guy, evil guy on the phone in the first John Wick. You know, the bad guy in the first John Wick who says crazy shit like that. If they if they just, like, simply done a better job. Yeah. Like, I think... And because it feels so flat, it does all you reflect all you end up reflecting on is how it is this just a parable about American fighting back and how noble that is. And watching that in 2021 is a, a real inspiration to me because let's remember this is an insurrection podcast. You know? Yeah. This is a the... film QAnon watches and goes, oorah. And I think that's good. <sighs> Oh, there is so much like marine bullshit in this movie. Yeah. Like in the like last half hour of the film, their like base is being blown up, and now they're living in the woods. And uh, they like what one day 
they they like come across a group of marines who have, and it, it's Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Kenneth Choi, and uh, some other guy uh, who's not as uh, well known. Yeah, uh, what's like Matt Hedges or someone? Matt 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 Gerald. Uh, yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. The guy, guy called Matt Gerald, who's like mo, uh, who 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 or who plays like cops and stuff in in movies like uh, GI Joe Retaliation and Escape Plan and Rampage and stuff. Oh, but, um, three a trinity of masterpiece. Yeah, he's also an Avatar and Magnolia. Ah, oh. okay. uh, who is he? Magnolia. I mean, it's a very long cast list. Uh, you think? Uh, uh, he okay. Well, he he plays a police officer in that as well. He plays Officer Number Two. Ah. He 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 is, he is just below Paul F. Tompkins and Robert Downey Senior in the cast list. Ah, uh, yeah, film. But uh, so yeah, it, it, it's like free, free free Marines who are like we're we're part of the we're part of the like we're we're part of the free American Army. And we're we're we've been sent to help the the insurgent group, the Wolverines. Do you know them? And they're like, yeah, we're the Wolverines. And he's like, oh, I've I was hoping it wasn't the case. And then they'll get together and do some You're insurgent shit. The best yeah. line of this exchange, which is like, do you want to help them? No, we need oh, right, them right, yes, yes. to help. Uh, right, yes, and, yes, that's what it is. And then they do this massive. Well, just, there, 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 there's, there's a scene where, where we're all like sitting down around around a fireplace yeah. and talking about like how how much of the how much of the country's been overtaken now. Oh, yeah. And Josh Hutchison or something is like, oh, it's, it's all hopeless. Is we're never going to be able to take our country back. And then Matt Gerald picks up his his like his his assault rifle and he's like, do you know what this is? And Josh Hutchison's like, it's a rifle. And he's like, yeah. In the hands of a United States Marine, this is the greatest shit-kicking weapon of all time. And it's like, who, who gives a fucking shit? This, this sucks. We, we do Finn. Oorah. Insurrection. We, we as white men have, been out, have not had power for too long, which is to say we, we've never not had it, and mm. it's time for us to rise up. Oh, and, and take and, back and, the power and, we have. And like when when they're talking about like the parts of the US that are still like free, it, it's uh, it's it's the militia parts. It's 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 the part. It's the like crazy gun nut parts of America. That's where all the true Americans are. Yeah, the real America, freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. California, it's implied, has probably just been blown up. Yeah, and I think that's great. So Look, like, where's your like, bubble tea oh, oh, oh. now? Like oh, over over in over in Montana, this like oh, over in Montana and 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 in Florida and all the way from Alabama to Arizona, uh, uh, and the border with Mexico. Oh, right. and yes, it's yeah. all be- and it's all being done by people like you. And yeah. it's just like oh great. So this is about how Timothy McVeigh is great. No, exactly. You know? Yeah, it is. Uh, I, and I is. And yeah, also, also think it's there, a very good film. No, also there's a bit where like they're just uh, they're just like blowing up some some like Korean guard post, and then they try to run away, and they like run into a subway, and the, the subway is just like full of people, and like 
Okay, so like America's been taken over by North Korean communists, but Subway is still allowed to exist. And you can tell it's like a bit of paid advertising for Subway because then Josh Hutchinson like jumps up on the counter and he's like, hey, sandwich artist, give me some bread. He says, like, honey, none of the flatbread. Yeah, it. yeah. And it's like, oh. Yeah, because like flatbread, that's what, that's what they eat in, in like Muslim countries. Oh, fuck. Like that. It doesn't, it never, it's not like crack in that it never feels like an active work of racial hate. <laughs> um, and, and that is because it's a film about an invasion. Yeah. Uh, and, and Will Yun Lee uh, does it, has fun being a moustache twirling villain. Yeah, he I mean, he's, he's probably the like, best performance in the movie. Oh yeah, and that's, and, like, and it's not even his best being a villain in a bad action film because they mm. die another day you know right yeah um, yeah which he is barely in but he's still better than he does but like yeah and and so it is about like defeating this one guy they're mm. very rarely like we're gonna take on korea and and but and you do want to be but like another but it is it, yeah it, what i'm saying is it never feels it never feels like its heart is dark but you feel, no. but that is just because it's, it's, you know, when you have a conversation with someone you don't really know and they don't say anything racist, but all of the clues are there. Yeah. You know, like the fact that they recar, they just switch, flipped a switch about Chinese people and made it about Korean people without doing any reshoot. Yeah. It was shot before China was like a major player. In like international yeah. box office, and then in the time that it was shelved, China became a major player in international box office. So like, okay, China it can't be the bad guys. But then the movie never even got released in China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why yeah, would it, it, like, it, why it would is, it be released anyway? Yeah, it, it it is like a confluence of like laziness and bad decisions, and just like 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 l- lack of any real thought into what the movie's trying to say, like, beyond just, like, regurgitating the most, like, hackneyed and cliched ideas about, uh, about, like, uh, about, like, uh, American freedom and, like, gun culture and stuff. It's America Fuck Yeah from Team America World Police, but unironically. There's Um, a bit early on where Hemsworth was talking about, like, his, like, time in Iraq. Back then, we were the good guys and we were bringing order, but now we're the bad guys and we've got to sow chaos. So yeah, just a quick note for America. Look at where that attitude has gotten. <laughs> like, look at your look at how many people are dying in the streets across the world because you couldn't just fucking shut down over COVID nineteen. Yeah. So you're like, let's breed some fucking super spreader shit. You could have set an example. Imagine Donald Trump wouldn't be the worst president ever. Only <laughs> the second worst if he shut down that country. And, like, that is, like, Red Dawn, Donald Trump would like this film. Like, and that's, like, yeah. the most damning way I can call something shy. And I'm just heartbroken for Bradley. Like, just mm. buy, mate. Just, like, so, out of shite and sound, what do you call it? Uh, I think it is shite. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, like, watchable. It's not a movie that, like, rejects you trying to watch it like some of the movies that no. we've seen are. But like it the is, running time really helps with that as yeah, well, I think. But it's not a painful experience, but there is just nothing to yeah. recommend it. 
Well, yeah, and especially because, as we've talked about, the structure of a happy birthday sign, the, more, the longer it goes, the choppier it gets, the more you're just moving mercilessly and somewhat illogically. And not like, not like Vigalondo is doing to create mm. like a sense of jarring unease or wide yeah. scope. It is just the sense of like these are the bits they could include in the film and still be about Korea. And so it does, like, it's over, like, you get to a point where you're like, oh, yeah, maybe there's about 20 minutes left, five minutes passed, and it's over, you know? Like, yeah. it's, yeah, never watch it. But, like, of the films we've said to never watch, maybe the most you should watch. Sure, yeah. Even though we think people should never watch it, it turns out uh, a fair few people have, and uh, some of them actually uh, like it. I don't like, uh, how many five-star reviews are there? There are 11 five-star reviews out of... There's, like, several thousand reviews. The reason I ask that is that this film... This is, like, this film I, of course, find repugnant. I'm a woke insurrectionist. But also it just isn't, like... It's one of those films where I struggle to believe anyone enjoying it. Because mm. it is just so flat and affectless. Like, war isn't good. Like, this, like it, you know, it's just all... Like, people looking for a film, as much as I don't like these people being like, ooh, rah, I want to see a film where red-blooded Americans like Australian Chris Hemsworth and Canadian Joss Hutchison kill people from Asia would be disappointed by this film, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that, that's why. Like, still seems a bit high. Anyway. This is a five-star review of Red Dawn by Letterboxd user Compassionist. Uh, okay, well, we're taking that name away from them. Uh, yeah. Excellent remake of the 1984 version with much stronger acting outside of a Matt character. The values are updated a bit, and it shows the hunting scene in a very different light. There's, there's a scene where they go hunting to help uh, Josh Hutchinson get better at uh, murdering things, and they, yeah. uh, they, they, they make him, like, uh, drink some of the deer's blood. But it, I, I, I think the, the, the scene also exists in the, in, the, in the original version, and in that... They, like, make the guy drink the blood because if you're, like, a hunter, you have to, like, show respect for the thing that you kill. But in this, they, they like, make him, they make him drink the blood and then uh, they start laughing at him because they've never drank the blood before. They think, they think it's gross and they just did it as a prank. So yeah. uh, values are updated a bit and it shows the hunting scene in a very different light. There is no sacredness in drinking the blood of your victim. It is only foolish. Stronger roles for the women and action-packed fun. Not vegan-friendly. I mean, you're not, not to... You know, you're you're about to look at their top four fail. Are either of the Red Dawns on that list? Uh, no. Okay, good. But, like, I just, like, yeah, it's genuine crazy pill movie joker moment of hearing someone... Because some, like, I understand that these roles, the roles for these women are, uh, in this film are better than mm. the 1984 film. Um, uh, uh, I buy that. But to say that as if it is an improvement when their job is to be peril monkeys and love token is like, uh, and be hot, you yeah, know? But, 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 and, there's, there's one scene where they, where they both get to fire a rocket launcher. But like, even that, like, yeah, that, yeah. like, it's just like, that is not, that is coming close to the film criticism equivalent of like one plus one equals three. <laughs> like you're not i understand that that person you know i feel compassion for the compassionist they legitimately felt those things but as much as we should not do this as white men i want to tell that person that their feelings are wrong 
Right. So, do you want to guess their top four? Okay. Is there is Point Break one? Of- uh, no. The first one is uh, it's a film about fascism, and it's a film about a scary tree. Evil Dead. No. Harry Potter two. No. Okay. A scary tree. Yeah. Well, uh, Antichrist. All right, it's not just there's there's a scary tree in it. It's not the main focus. Okay, it's not Antichrist though. Oh, no. Pen's Labyrinth. Yes. Yeah, yeah. What a film. Uh, yeah. Uh, the you the good work. The second film is uh, about uh, what what if you uh, what if you uh, went to hang out with your boss for a while, but uh, uh, but he had a weird girlfriend. Ex Machina. Yeah. Um, what a film. <laughs> When no one looks in the camera. <laughs> uh, the third one is a stop-motion animated film. Uh, is it a British or American? It is an American one. Okay, so is it is it a holiday film? Uh, no, I don't believe so. Okay. Uh, is it... Oh. How ooky spooky... Uh, not particularly. Oh, okay, okay. So, is it Kubo and the Two Strings? It is, yes. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, and uh, the... The one b- non-ooky-spooky yeah. stop-notion animated film. <laughs> the fourth of Compassionist's uh, top four films is... Uh, it's a combination of two other films. Evangelion 3.0.1 plus 1.0 Thrice Upon a Time? No. That, and, and that's not a combination of two. Anyway, but is it that the one about the like Eleanor Rigby, the disappearance of Eleanor yes, Rigby? Yes, it, it is the disappearance yeah! of Eleanor Rigby. Them. Yes, that is. It is. It, yeah. Ah, oh, that was. Ah, oh, I'm very excited to note it. Yeah, you know, that's a good guess. Hey. Ah. Oh, wow. I've always meant to to get round to that. Yeah. To get round to those. Yeah, I've, I, I've heard those films are fine. Man, I've never felt better about remembering the title of a film. <laughs> uh, but we do, we do agree that at the end of the year, it's the second annual Shite and Sound Shite and Showdown for The Crown 2021, 3.0.1 plus 1.0.1, <laughs> thrice upon a time, right? Sure, sure. So, Finn, what are we watching next week? Next week we are watching Close Up by Abbas Kiarostami, one of the like uh, greats of Iranian film. Uh, yeah, it's a, nev- it's a wonderful I've, film. I've never seen any Iranian film before, never seen anything by Kiarostami, but right now there is a bunch of his stuff on movies, so I'm going to watch as much of it as I can before next week. And uh, with that, we found uh, oh, just the, the, the worst documentary we could think of that wasn't Neil Breen's Five Film Perspective, which is... Or by Dinesh D'Souza. Yeah, we, 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 we're not doing a fucking Dinesh D'Souza film. What or we're doing is a damaging conspiracy theory. Yeah, uh, what we are doing is the Sarkeesian effect inside the world yeah. of social justice warriors by Jordan Owen, the famously like awful film about how Anita Sarkeesian is killing video games. Okay, so here's my reason why I think this works as, as a thing. Uh, uh, cl- cl- yeah. Close up is about a uh, is is, doc- is a documentary about a man uh, pretending to be a filmmaker and like conning some people into being in a film that doesn't actually exist and the the entire production of the Sarkeesian effect was essentially a gigantic scam on the part yeah. of Jordan Owen and Davis Arini. Yeah, to complain about something that doesn't exist. But I'm finally glad that that we will finally have a pedestal to take on fake geek girl. <laughs>
I'm so yeah. sick of uh, I'm so sick of them, you know, sitting in their underwear, holding a PlayStation controller, selling their bath water to people, <laughs> and then you get it, and you it's just water, so you can't even really smell it. And then when you're like, I'd like a refund, they ban you from their Discord, and then so you set up another name, and you go into the Discord, and they're like, we can tell it's you, because you've just changed one of the letters in your old name to a one, and then you say, no, actually... Why would I do that? I mean, why would they do? And then they kick you out again. So then you have to like create a whole new life. Hey, you can find to you online today. Uh, you can find me on <laughs> uh, Bathwater Babes Discord. <laughs> Uh, uh, you can you can find me uh, on your various social medias as Youther Lives. Get your L-I-V-E-S. Sign up for my newsletter at bit.ly slash youthalive. I have two other podcasts. One's The Witching Hours, which is an audio drama one, weird and funny and spooky, and uh, one called The Slow Path, where me and my partner Briar watch Doctor Who until we die. Ben, yeah. where can we find you Who online? Who gives a shit? You can find the show on Twitter <laughs> at ShiteSoundPod, or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Uh, why not check out our website? It's at ShiteAndSound.com. Our theme song... Is the Nux. By Kazan Blam. <laughs> Check him out on Bandcamp. We're laughing because that took more takes than it should have. <laughs> if you like the show, why not give us a review on Apple Podcasts? Like and subscribe. Tell your friend. Movies are good. Even bad ones. Go, Go watch them.